Irish NFL show. Firstly, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate all our listeners. If you are enjoying the show, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on whichever podcast platform you are listening on. It makes a huge difference. It helps others to find the show, and we would massively appreciate it. Also, reach out to us on social media. We love interacting with listeners and with fans from wherever you are in the world. And with that said, on with today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome into today's episode of the Irish NFL show with me, Colum Cronin. And I am very pleased to be joined today uh, by a guest that uh, I have been keen to get him on the, the show for some time because he is steeped in the history of the sport in this country, um, both watching, facilitating, now involved in the administration of the, the game as he was recently appointed the chief communications officer with American Football Ireland. He's a huge sports fan and a big rugby fan. He's also a massive music aficionado. Uh, welcome to the Irish NFL show, Tom O'Connell. What an introduction, Colm. Delighted to be on air with you and uh, to, with your listeners and watchers this evening. So, we, you know, let, let's let's go back because I talk about everyone, you know, on this side of the Atlantic has some sort of origin story of how they came to find the, the great sport of American football and why they fell in love with it. And for some people, it was Scott Hansen presenting Red Zone. For some people, it was John Madden on the Sega Mega Drive. What, what is your origin story with American football, Tom? Well, it goes way back before uh, Scott Hansen in the Red Zone. There wasn't satellite television when we started watching the games, nor was there any media coverage at all. Uh, the interweb hadn't even been discovered. It was um, very, very primitive to some extent, Uh my college days were in UCD from uh, 78 to early 80s, and we went on a freshman rugby tour to Florida in September 79. It was uh, a strike season, so but we ended up watching quite a few of the games. And then a few years later, um, the uh, Channel 4 in the UK started producing uh, a magazine program of NFL footage. But it was obviously a week late, uh, so you tended to obviously know the results before you watched the matches. Again, another strike season. Again, the same team that we watched in Florida a lot was the Washington Redskins at the time. Um, they then won the, the Super Bowl, beating the Dolphins uh, back in 82. John Riggins was a superb running back, and Joe Theismann, ex-Notre Dame, and all these uh, the, the people were, were, were constantly in American football news. So we, that was the team that most of our freshman rugby team in UCD followed. As, as you say, I was... Uh, a player and then a referee at rugby, but I also wanted to um, play a season of American football before I retired and maybe a season of a Gaelic football before I retired. So I was able to do those before I took up the whistle and uh, refereed rugby for another 12 years. Uh, like a lot of Irish, both maternal grandparents and paternal grandparents had relations in the States back in those days. So um, as people do in college, they headed off for a couple of weeks or months to the States um, my maternal grandparents were actually married in Villanova University in outside Philadelphia. Um, they came home to uh, Monaghan and my uh, grandfather told my grandmother that, hey, look, 
we bought a farm and she goes what but so the rest of the family were all in the uh philadelphia and south south jersey area you'll see springsteen behind me so the cousins kept shipping me stuff on springsteen back in the day and also on the american football which was primarily then the eagles and then from uh the steelers and again from college the redskins so it was very early days trying to get any up-to-date information on nfl matters um no website uh delayed television uh so it was really uh a stroke of luck when I met one of the chaps in the American embassy um, who was the deputy chief of mission, Tom, and he was the uh, coach, the head coach of what was then the Dublin Celts back in the mid 80s. And the Dublin Celts um, were one of a, a number of small teams in, in the country, both north and south then as it is now, and they played matches when they could. It was a bit loose uh, in the sense of organization and structure. Um, I was then working in my old school, St. Michael's, which had training facilities. So lo and behold, the Celts moved up to St. Michael's and uh, Marion Road and uh, had their training sessions there and played the odd match um, in St. Michael's and around the country. A lot of U.S. Marines were involved with the team then, and um, they had a house in Fox Rock on Westminster Road. And that was the only place where you could watch live American football, be it uh, college football or uh, NFL football at the weekends because there was no other TV in, in, in this uh, Emerald Isle at that stage. So uh, early days, but uh, exciting times and great to see the, the game, uh, number one, survive and two, now um, grow into what it's become with uh, internet coverage, your good selves and all the other media involved on a day-to-day and week-to-week uh, coverage of the NFL and um, the the uh, domestic game here in Ireland, I've watched a number of games. Uh, again, last season, I was asked to get involved with uh, the Rebels. Um, my um, my wife's best friend, her son, David King, is one of the top wide receivers and cornerbacks. He plays with the Wolfhounds. He's like St. Michael's as well. So I went along there and ended up being part of the chain gang, uh, the down marker man. And uh, it was a good way to, great way to actually watch a game. You're right at uh, sideline level. And then this year was doing much the same and until last Sunday when they were, the cameraman was in difficulty with traffic. So I ended up filming the match against uh, between the Rebels and the UCD. And that was only a point in it. Um, and the Rebels had a kicker and, and UCD didn't. So it came down to a one-point game. So a very good quality and very good standard. Much, much better than I remember back in the 80s. Um, but then it would have been. Yeah, there's so many things that jump out right, just from that kind of intro, um, you know, and just the, the different ways you have been involved in the game from that early trip over uh, to to acting as cameraman uh, just uh, last uh, Sunday. Um, I, I do. I, I love the fact, I suppose, that the um, the embassy and the deputy chief of mission have always kind of been involved because for the very first Super Bowl show that we did on the Irish NFL show a few years back, uh, the then Deputy Chief of Mission, Christopher Wirtz, who very kindly came on, um, and he he chatted to, to us. Um, and it also uh, brings about a, a few other things. I had the good fortune to have uh, Kevin Platt uh, on the, the show, the head coach of the Wexford Eagles a few weeks back, and Kevin won the Shamrock Bowl with the, the Celts um, back uh, in the, the 80s. 
and uh, he talks fondly about that one season that he played. His wife allowed him to play one season, um, and before he hung up his boots, he's now uh, known affectionately as the mad scientist. And the Eagles are one of the most exciting uh, teams to to watch across the AFI. And I, I think, you know, in terms of what you were saying, like the way in which the game has developed on all levels, right? We to go from where it was and. Like I, um, you know, I came to it in the, the late 80s watching it on S4C. But to see how the, you know, the NFL itself has developed, to see how the domestic game ha- has developed, um, you know, for, gone from surviving to, to thriving, I think, because the quality, um, as you said, is is very, very evident. And I suppose going, going back a little bit to, the the Steelers. I mean, you mentioned um, the. Uh, it's funny for for listeners um, or people who are more recent to the NFL. Like, okay, the Eagles have had some success recently, but you know the the AFC East for a long time was kind of looked down on in recent years. But you go back to those the eighties and the nineties, particularly that period from like say the late eighties up until the mid nineties. Like the AFC East was unbelievable. These teams were the best of the best. And generally, whoever came through the AFC East, that's who won the Super Bowl, whether whether it was Washington, whether it was the Giants, or, or whether, obviously, the, the Cowboys, um, most famously. In terms of, like, you know, you you were watching, like me, the, the highlights, on uh, unless you got to the embassy to, to see live. Like, how... How different is it watching the NFL now and the game that's played now versus the game that you saw played back then? Well, I think obviously that there's a lot more familiarity with the rules and the, the laws of the game now. There's a lot more television angles. There's a lot more color, color commentators that uh, are more up to speed with what's actually going on with all the trick plays and the, um, the, the different camera angles and the the referees and the match officials and the, um, the videotape and things like that, that again had all been introductory. And again, every year there's a rule change which people have to get used to. You know, now it's the, the um, you know, the, the kickoff returns are going to be, you know, maybe at the 25, as a matter of fact. So there might be less injuries and less concussions maybe for the people who uh, just go at breakneck speed, number one to tackle and uh, number two to run back uh, as quickly as possible so there's it's an, an evolving game as most sports are back in uh, the, the early 80s like rugby was three the three points then four points then five points so they realized that the scoring system um was was uh, needed to actually put more action in the game and, and let people score tries or uh, touchdowns obviously the, the americans had six and one and uh, the college the two-point attempt and things like that more frequent I noticed in Ireland a lot of the teams go for the two-point attempts because they don't have, you know, uh, proficient kickers. So a lot of the games are six or twelve or fourteen, you know, six and eights if they get the two-point conversion. So there's very few with a, an odd number in it, and that that's where, as I say, uh, last weekend the, the Rebels um, snuck it by a point, 25-24, because they had an early point after another one blocked down, and then. Two point two two point attempts that didn't work out. So uh, looking at the game now versus then, there's a lot more um, technical information now. There's a lot more resource into player safety. 
the Steelers, for example, wear the outside shell helmets a lot in, in practice. Um, a lot of the rugby teams now don't do contact except on match days. So again, there's an ongoing discussion in all contact sports about the, um, the diagnosis of uh, concussions and brain injuries and things. So that all has to be carefully monitored and evaluated. Um, last week, Jerome Bettis, the former Steeler running back, you know, has said that he's going to donate his brain to, uh, to medical research and stuff like that. So again, people realize that um, even the, the, the guys in the English soccer league in the 60s and 70s hitting the old leather ball, um, hitting the ball, some of those uh, claimed that they had been affected by dementia. And, and I wouldn't be surprised, you know, I mean, on a wet day, uh, you and I would have played on a on a mucky pitch and uh, the ball was like concrete. Um, uh, whether you kicked it or headed it or did anything with it, it was just, um, uh, you know, a, a, a very awkward piece of um, equipment to, to, to manage at the time. Yeah, um, and it's interesting how some of that was known for a time, um, but maybe not taken seriously in any sport. I mean, I'm going back to, I remember reading Brian McClare, who used to play for Manchester United, kind of famous as a, um, you know, as, as somebody, uh, you know, Brian McClare like, got a college degree before actually coming into the game and then having a very successful uh, professional career. But he used to write this diary and he, he was pretty funny. But um, I remember when the kind of initial, I suppose, um, reports and kind of analysis was coming out around that and he made a joke even about it and he was talking about he was a you know a training and the ball was coming across and he was like i, I i'm thinking about going up and, and heading it and then a, a thought flashes through my head head this and your nicky butt um and nicky butt being a kind of the you know the butt of the joke no pun intended there um but at that point that would have been like the 90s and ultimately, it's taken, you know, almost 30 years for it to really be taken seriously. But we're talking about that long since I remember it being kind of first discussed. And that was in soccer, as we would say. So in American football, um, you know, it's it's probably and even and it's interesting when, when you say about Bettis. And I suppose like that probably leads on. You've mentioned the Steelers, but like um, you, you, you get, I suppose. Like given the last week, um, maybe let's go back to you know because you have been pretty involved with the the Steelers. So you've given me your your NFL kind of origin story. You've mentioned the Steelers, but talk to me a little bit more of, about like you know the the ways in which you, you have had um, the opportunity to to be involved with the, the Steelers and and the Rooneys and and what it means that they now have sign on the dotted line that they're making Ireland, you know, um, a second home official. Well, pr primarily was involved, thankfully, with um, Dan and Pat Rooney, his wife, uh, in the development and growing of the Ireland funds, which um, I moved out of St. Michael's into the public relations business in 87. And um, that was the, the time that the Ireland funds was very much needed. Uh, things weren't so good up north. We had a lot of um, bad incidents and the troubles, as they were called. And um, Tony O'Reilly and Dan Rooney said, look, all these charities do things for their own uh, religions or countries back in the States. Nobody's doing anything on that basis for Ireland. So they had set up the Ireland funds in 1976 in Pittsburgh. They had a dinner in New York. 
which bombed, which meant that they uh, had to have another dinner in 77 to pay for it. Uh, then that was the joke at the time. That's how bad things were, that nobody could uh, even afford to go in 76. But out of that came um, a network of Ireland funds all around the world, primarily through uh, Dan Rooney's contacts in the States and Tony O'Reilly's rugby contacts all over the world. He had played with Ireland and the British and Irish Lions in Australia, New Zealand and South Africa. And all those international contacts um, were uh, inveigled and cajoled into uh, setting up Ireland funds to promote peace, culture and charity were the three words. that uh, and, and this went to both communities up north, north uh, in the Protestants and the Catholics, and uh, all into uh, grassroots community pro uh, pro projects, bringing kids from both sides to the States on holidays. Uh, and you could see the tangible results when those kids had their um, holidays or vacations in the States and then going back um, into the north and realising that it's not... Like like everything else, there's a huge them and us going out. But when you come back, it's a different story. Same as your your rivals in your school, rugby or football or soccer. You might play for a representative team and then suddenly they're not as bad. You actually have two arms and two legs like the rest of you. So it's um, the, the Ireland funds then obviously um, have gone on to raise, I think, over 550 million US dollars, primarily through black tie dinners. A few of them in Pittsburgh, I was asked, and New York and Boston and most of the states, and uh, also through private donors. So people in the states obviously get tax breaks for making donations to registered charities, bona fide charities. So it's grown, and I certainly um, was one of the highlights of my professional career was being involved with the Clinton visit in Derry when you saw both sides together and the, the start of the Good Friday Agreement with uh, both leaders from all factions in the same room and in the same bar and restaurant afterwards. And, Derry or London Derry, and they were all um, very friendly and um, very positive about the future and what it held, and uh, all that emanated from the work of you know Dan Rooney and Tony O'Reilly on that uh, small dinner table back in New York in '76. So Dan and Pat Rooney um, would have been visitors to Ireland every June for the Ireland Funds Conference, which was a, a way so that the donors could meet the recipients of the funds. Um, they they holidayed in West Cork. Obviously, they'd bed business uh, or family relations in Newry, so they were north and south. Even then, they were going county to county. Uh, his wife Pat or Patricia was a teacher and uh, was uh, very um, good at the conferences and looking out after the other halves of the programs. The um, be it the male or the female that uh, wasn't really involved with the funds, she would go reach out to them and uh, talk them through um, the work of the funds or. The, the, the work of the, the events on that weekend, uh, visiting projects, um, discussing the, um, the way forward for the, the next tranche of grants, which were allocated annually. So um, they, they, they were good. And then uh, obviously later on, um, Dan Rooney became uh, ambassador here, which was uh, fantastic. Um, in the meantime, though, I'd met him at different functions uh, and his secretary was Mary Ann and uh, any time that you were visiting the States uh, yeah, on work or at Ireland Funds dinner, um, you would ask, could he get tickets? And I went to a Giants-Redskins game in the Meadowlands, as it was. And uh, you, you obviously you paid for them, but you had the, the right to buy. It's called RTBs. So they were there and waiting. And he was, even though it wasn't the Steelers we were watching that weekend, he was very much in favour of uh, American football and getting the word back to Ireland that it's... Uh, it's a, it's a great game where we used to be slagged in rugby union for a, a game that was kick and clap. 
you know, somebody would kick the ball and you'd get a clap for kicking it out of the pitch. And my dad was a GAA fan. He said it'd be a great game if they could only keep the ball on the pitch, you know. Uh, so uh, the, um, the growth of the Ireland funds um, went exponential. And Dan Rooney then, through President Obama's good offices, accepted a, a role as ambassador here. Um, I know some of the Steelers uh, players and coaches have, would have visited him here during his time as ambassador. There was a story, I think, last week that we remembered in Crow Park where uh, in the residence at Deerfield on the lawn was a previous gift of what looked like a, a bird, but it could have been ostensibly a raven. Ben Roethlisberger was over some June with a few guys golfing, and he says, "Mr. Rooney, we can't have a raven in the in in, in your in your garden." So uh, lo and behold, I think the raven was moved uh, appropriately around the corner. An American eagle was installed. Mr. Mr. Rooney stood beside the eagle, and the photograph was sent to Mr. Roethlisberger back in Pennsylvania that uh, things had been rectified in Dublin, and that the raven was no longer. Um, forefront at the, the the residence of the American ambassador. So little little nuggets like that, you know, he linked the Ireland funds, the, the Ireland and America countries, north and south, made a point of uh, visiting every county. Um, and I think last week, uh, his uh, grandson Daniel was over with a few of the, the Steelers uh, party and uh, again stopped off at a few places between Dublin and Belfast just to reminisce and uh, to look forward at the same time for a renewed and enhanced relationship between the Steelers and the the, Ire the island of Ireland and um, obviously hoping to have more NFL activities there. So uh, obviously a lot of energy and enthusiasm in the room last week in Crow Park and uh, I think the work starts now. Memorial Day weekend is over. The guys will have their feet under the desk uh, this week and uh, here we go. Let's see what it brings. And did you have the good fortune to to be at that ninety seven game, Tom, with the against the the Bears? I, I was, yes, I was. Me, uh, me not too. Only, <laughs> not only uh, that, but and again, it might replicate itself because it works so well. They had a NFL experience workshop uh, locally in Wanderers Rugby Club on Merrion Road, where both the Bears and the Steelers. Uh, different players, probably on rotation, will go down and uh, sign soft footballs and uh, do some drills with the local kids. Um, I was in my 30s then, but my my son was six, so it was all just um, you know collapsing onto onto pads with footballs and stuff like that, very light stuff. And you could stand in behind um, you know um, six foot four statues of 97, the big defensive numbers, and uh, you you looked as if you were the part, a bit like the the fun fair of old, you know, behind the behind the cartoon figures. So uh, yeah, it was really good, and uh, both players were there. I uh, got a couple of footballs signed. I gave one to the Steelers last week because they actually had nothing um, commemorating the that particular match with the logo um, of note. So the, that's a soft football signed by four players, and with the signatures now uh, fading rapidly. Um, may find a place at the new Steelers Hall of Honor Museum um, at uh, Acrisure Stadium. Um, it wasn't; it's only opened recently. The last time I was over there would have been Ben's last ride in January of uh, 22, and the Hall of Honor then opened up, museum opened up thereafter. So, hopefully, uh, if things work out and I get back uh, this season, maybe the Titans game over school midterm, 
uh, on Thursday night. So uh, hopefully it might be in behind the glass case somewhere. Um, but at least the logos are on it. It's visible. And the 97 game, yeah, Crow Park was in the middle of redevelopment. It was, um, I mean, um, there's only one side of the stadium opposite the, the cameras, really, that was uh, you could actually probably sit in safely. Um, but it was a reasonable match. Um, Pettis was there. The story that we, was mentioned previously of Mrs. Rooney liking the, the Waterford Crystals. So uh, suddenly Coach Cower had to put his stronger players on for the first quarter and uh, uh, make sure that they brought that uh, Crystal Trophy back to Pittsburgh. Uh, who again came up in conversation at Crow Park last week. And you mentioned it in your show previously uh, with Coach Carr and his interview. And um, yeah, it, it was something to behold, having particularly spent some time during the week and getting to know uh, some of the more um, human side of the players and uh, see them without their helmets. Because in those days, you hardly ever, as I say, you're back in Channel four times and the uh, the early 80s and then in the 90s it was beginning to get in there but there was very little magazine programs what you really saw was matches for you know, the, it was full kit and um, I suppose um, you know that that was my my first ever NFL experience I'd had the um, the good fortune fair play to, to my mom for taking me to the Wild Geese Classic in Limerick between Fordham and Holy Cross when we used to bring the college teams over in November. Um, but you were, you've, you've had some involvement as well on the, the college uh, so input into some of the, the college uh, games as well. Yeah, uh, that, that evolved through what the, the, I was working with the British and Irish Lions office and the Six Nations office around uh, 2012, 2013, and they had contacted the Six Nations and asked them for some PR advice again on a pro bono basis. And um, the chief executive there, Johnny Fian, said, Well, one of our guys is a big football fan. He might be able to help you out. So uh, I had the pleasure of working with John Heesler and all the Notre Dame guys back in 2012 for Notre Dame and Navy. And um, John has since moved on to UCF White Knights. Um, but the other chap, uh, Mike Collins, who was the stadium announcer at Notre Dame up until two years ago, he's now 78, so he's only recently retired and past retirement, but um, they kept him on, you know, so here come the Irish, that's his tagline, and uh, he'd be my guest here in in August, uh, and uh, he's also another Springsteen fan and would have made the, the, the trip over in May, only had seen him three times in Florida already. Uh, so he will be here for a week and he's going to do um, uh, the voiceovers of the three uh, high school games on the Friday night before the Notre Dame Navy game. Then the, I think there's a pre-game pre at the Odeon um, Club on Harcourt Street for Notre Dame fans. So I think he's going to go there. I think Mike Gullick is coming over um, and obviously it's a 7.30 kickoff. So at least it will be wrapped up at lunchtime. It'll uh, it'll progress during the afternoon and early evening before people make their way to the Aviva for the um, 7.30 p.m. kickoff Irish time. And uh, so looking forward to seeing Mike and uh, Notre Dame again, thoroughly professional. Um, uh, they, they, some of them moved on and obviously Coach Brian Kelly moved on to LSU and the players, Monte Teo, went on to the Seahawks and other places. But uh, so again, this year, um, some of the Notre Dame players were over. Some of them have moved on in the in the window. Um, but uh, 
it's looking forward to a fascinating game and uh yeah it's been um it's great experience seeing how sport has evolved when i was with leinster for example um another branch of my clan ended up in glasgow um and i lost i'm a small small stakeholder in celtic football club but uh when we were there we um visited the sports center and the sports science and they had hyperbaric chambers for um, sports injuries. And again, all this was early days for the, this team of Leinster, which superstars to come like Brian O'Driscoll, et cetera, uh, were all starting off in their careers. And uh, their mentors were now looking at the, the, the top quality sports science uh, technology that was coming down the track, not just into uh, professional soccer, um, but also professional rugby. And remember back in the days, Colin, there was no logos on shirts. There was no um, performance uh, measurements in the back of the jerseys. There was no sponsors' names on the jerseys. One to 11, they're only they're the only players that there. Having squad numbers just didn't happen in soccer, never would happen in soccer. But by and large, if you look at American sports and the success that they have in their marketing and fan engagement, it eventually... Um, and has found its way over this side of the water. Yeah, yeah, uh, cer- certainly. I mean, it's it's interesting to see the way in which um, <laughs> we're all magpies, and whatever business you're in, whether it, it is in education like me, whether it's in PR, or whether it's in um, you know pro sports, um, they they take they borrow from each other. They look at what works in one sport, and they you know try to maybe translate that into to others. And I have no doubt that given the success of um, the of Irish rugby uh, in the past number of years, we may well see uh, the people from various sports uh, come to kind of look at at that. I suppose. I mean, sorry, Colin. They are already the uh, high performance center. The IRFU get visitors um, lo- looking at what they do because they are number one in the world, and these would be um, coaches from the southern hemisphere, from South Africa. New Zealand, Australia, maybe not represented at level, but schools and what have you. And again, it's a information sharing process that works between both um, uh, hemispheres. And again, the schools, Black Rock and St. Michael's, very strong in the rugby. Again, they have schools, schools, coaches visiting. So um, the lads would have, you know, a session in the gym, breakfast, and then into school. So when they get into the semi-pro or academy situation, They've already experienced the, what a working week would be like, obviously trying to balance it with academics in the in the school time. But again, a lot of the Leinster guys would be doing um, nighttime courses in UCD. They might quite, uh, do a BCom and if they get the uh, academy, they might spread that out over from three to five years and study it at night. And that would um, keep everything ticking over. So when they do retire, if, um, they might go into the broader business world, for example. And that would be... Um, Again, the professional sports, most most of them have players associations. So there's a continuing professional development, uh, everything from media training. So to make sure that uh, the guys don't say anything on camera that are, or even close to the camera that they shouldn't be saying. It doesn't really um, add too much color for some of the interviews. A lot of it is uh, monochrome. But uh, again, there's everything from career advice, media training, sponsorship, uh, and then their own personal interests that they play golf, they can um, offer themselves as a, a, a medium handicapper, low handicapper, 
into a, a corporate outing with some of the sponsors and people will uh, be glad of that. And that's an old pro sports and they do that usually for the, the IRFU Charitable Trust or the Jerome Bettis Bus Foundation. And no matter where it is, it's uh, it's the same recipe. Yeah, um, and I suppose it's just something that is becoming more and more common. I, I'm reminded of when Dave Brailsford um, met with Alex Ferguson um, when they were initially establishing British Cycling and, and even within sports, like when you think of Von Miller, right, uh, set up the Pass Rush Summit, uh, we now have Tight End U um, and and you're beginning to see, obviously, the players come into the NFL, Jordan Moyalata um, and others. And I think that is something that, that's great to, to, to see. Um, and obviously, it's unusual to have a college player coming in having already earned maybe two million in his senior year of college, maybe through image rights and uh, things like that. So that that takes a bit of getting used to, to be honest with you, you know, because uh, up to now it was kind of sacrosanct, and um, but it's it's seeping further and further and further back into into grassroots, and that will probably go back to freshman years and you know um, the, the the portal for players to move colleges and get better teams and. Uh, more TV exposure, more starts, more reps, um, more more opportunities to earn. Yeah, which they deserve. I, I did discuss with, with Neil Reynolds. Could this mean um, that we see players retire earlier, though? Um, which probably no no bad thing for the players themselves, potentially. I am thinking, you know, we we have seen it a little bit with Andrew Luck and Luke Keekley. Um, and, and the fact they will hopefully be in a better position financially, you know, that they, they mightn't have the need to continue to play until they are 36, 37, 38. There'll always be some. There'll always be your Tom Brady's and your Aaron Rodgers. But maybe by allowing these players to earn, because this, I mean, college football is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's only fair that the players get a share of it. I just wonder if it might mean and I, look, there's going to be other guys coming through. It'll just change things slightly. But I wonder if that is a possibility that we might see players um, put their their bodies um, or be in a position to make a decision to say, I don't need to put my body through this anymore. Because it, un, until you like, you really are close to it, I, I, I don't know if, if we as fans really realize what pro athletes put their bodies through. And that is whether they are an NFL player, a rugby player, a soccer player, a cyclist, a pro swimmer, a runner, whatever it is. These athletes um, just every every day of the week are very often having to go through, um, you know, crazy injuries to, to put themselves out there. Because up to now, obviously, a lot has been so much of their income has been dependent on be, participation and, and winning. Absolutely, and the pressure to turn up and appear because uh, you're the star player. So, if if um, to be fair, any of the teams I've looked at, the player injury management has been fantastic. Um, uh, certainly, in an Irish context that, that that I've seen at close hand, the, the the figures involved are you know absolutely first class. Um, I suppose you're dealing with um, you know, prime athletes, so that they have to be in top form going back out again. And uh, if they have any injuries at all, a supplementary injury will come on. You know, if there's a leg injury and so and so is not happy about planting his or her right foot or left foot in a certain way, then that might aggravate some other injury as they go in 
for a tackle or to, to try and break the line. So I think, as you say, it's, it's all come down um, further and further down the stream where it's the same in um, school sports as well. Uh, athletes are being looked at from, you know, for adolescence all the way on. How much weight do they do? And how many breasts of chicken can they get through? I think some of the guys are on, the one mother said she was buying 17 breasts of chicken a week for uh, one of the guys. So protein, 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 um, total ban on alcohol uh, during the season, uh, all that type of good living stuff, uh, weights, breakfast, study, a lot of it's management. So there's less distractions out there because I think, you know, obviously that most of the sports stars that have fallen off, that there are there is quite a bit of downtime as well. So some people might go alcohol route, others uh, drugs route, others gambling. Um, you know, there's a lot of downtime. So look, it's better to be uh, manage your diary better and uh, get out there and play 18 holes uh, of golf with the lads than um, have four or five uh, hours with, with very little to do. I think um, when rugby went professional, uh, the soccer model was that they would that the lads would train maybe from eight in the morning and clear at two, where the rugby model would have uh, morning and afternoon and maybe even some type of evening session, um, maybe on a on a commercial basis, you know, meet meet a sponsor or meet a career advisor or something like that. So it was very much a question of uh, managing the the whole person for as long as it took to um, get the message across. If you want to be a prime athlete, you've got to, you know. Be, give yourself your best shot at getting on the park in the best condition you can. Absolutely. Um, now, I, I, before, uh, you know, I, I, I let you go, we do have to discuss because you're, you know, you've been involved and we touched on this earlier, but you have been recently appointed as the, the chief comms officer for American football, Ireland. And, you know, it, it is a very exciting time for football across the, the island. Can you talk to me, I suppose, a little bit about the the role and and about you know um the your excitement I think, for the the next few months? Yeah, well, it's a very busy time with the American football here on the on the island. Thankfully, as I say, introduced slowly last year on the chain gang with the rebels, and then um you know in the spring, uh, uh, happy to join the AFI um early days yet to some extent, but a very busy summer ahead. Uh, obviously, the league is up and running. Um, uh, I think a lot of the people at Crow Park last week were uh, delighted to discover there's 19-20 teams here in three divisions, a huge interest in flag football, uh, male and female involvement in the in the flag football situation. Uh, a Shamrock Bowl coming up in the middle of July. Um, then, obviously, the European Flag Football Championships in UL, on the 18th to the 20th of August, and a softball championship, uh, world softball championship, coming up in Balbriggan in July as well. So a lot of American sports fans are um, going to be very happy over the next couple of months, and uh, delighted to, uh, uh, you know, run with the ball once I've been past it. So uh, the guys have given me the the ball to run with in relation to the calm side and obviously event management because it's all voluntary. Um, sport Ireland thankfully gives some. Uh, grants, um, but it's all a voluntary basis, and I'm very impressed with the the expertise and the energy and enthusiasm around the table uh, at the board. I mean, another my second board meeting is coming up on the tenth, and uh, we'll be really drilling into the the the, um, the logistics for the next couple of weeks and months, and what will be a a very successful summer we hope in Ireland. 
yeah, I think there is um, an, an awful lot to, to be excited about, as you have outlined uh, and coupled with the, um, the Steelers announcement, coupled with, I think, the fact that the NFL writ large have kind of um, said that they're really committed to growing the, the game globally. And I think you're you're seeing it from owners. I think previously there were certain owners like the, the Rooney's and, and others who wanted and, and recognized, you know, growing it globally. But I think when you see people um, like, um, you know, um, a, the, the, the Falcons owner, when you see like the hunts with the, the Chiefs who said, no, we don't just want any game happening in Germany. We want this to be a spectacle. We want our fans um, over there to have a, a top quality game. It's a sea change, I think, a little bit for, for some of the owners. So very exciting time. And I suppose, Tom, for there, there, will, there may well be people listening who um, would be interested in kind of getting involved. And as you've outlined, um, flag football is open um, to men and women. Um, there, there's youth teams, um, but also, you know, with the you, you were involved in the chain gag. Uh, there's different ways for, for people to get involved. Like what, what's the best way for them to go out and, and do that? Probably just check American Football Ireland's website. Just see where the local teams are. It's um, it's spread out throughout the country, north and south. Um, so I think check it out. Go and have a look at it. The matches are probably a higher standard than you would have anticipated. Um, and see if there's a role there for you. Um, as I say, if it's a contact situation that you're worried about in the kit, uh, certainly, again, coming back to the uh, brain injuries, when I started putting a helmet on, I often saw the after a touchdown, the players clashing helmets and it looked great. And I did that once or twice and I, I saw stars. So <laughs> it's not as uh, it's not as uh, great as uh, it might look at. But again, uh, go, to, go to the, uh, the local club. Um, male and female are welcome. Um, the, the flag championships in Limerick, if you can get down there on the 18th to the 20th of August or uh, uh, just check on other flag activities that will be... Uh, running up to that and then the Irish team of uh, it would be known as the Wolfhounds and the, the logistics are being looked at for an international against Turkey this summer uh, obviously they've had earthquakes and political elections and things like that so that hasn't been finalised yet but there is a national team that we can support you probably saw the photograph of Aidan McGuire the president of the AFI uh, gave Daniel G- Rooney Jr. Um, a Wolfhounds jersey last week and uh, uh, so I think remember that the, you can play for your country. Um, three of the lads that were in my old school were playing for Ireland against Spain last year. So it goes again. It all comes back to school, college, local club, and a chance to wear the green in a, in a in a sport that you like to play. And um, the skill sets are very good, and there's good teamwork. Um, obviously, it's a bit different than rugby, soccer and Gaelic and that there's a lot more stop start than you might be used to but at the same time when you are when that whistle blows yeah, it's, it's 110% focus and attention on the on the job in hand be that on either side of the ball yeah um, and, and like there there is so much happening and um, had the good fortune to chat to Alan Amazny uh, from the Admirals who's obviously very involved with the, the Wolfhounds and just to hear 
um, you know, from him and and Gareth Miller up with the the Razorbacks and from Kevin Clatt and and yourself and Aiden and all the people like the commitment to the the game, the commitment to. Freddie Goggins also played with the Kells around that time, and he's obviously head coach at UCD. So uh, the winning coach last year, and um, that they shouldn't—they've had a couple of defeats this year, but they should make the playoffs and will be again um, challenging for the Shamrock Bowl uh, in the middle of July for sure. But uh, hopefully, if things work out, I'd love to see say the Steelers have a flag championship here next next year or two, um, as they had in Mexico. Uh, this year, and Hi- Alex Highsmith, the linebacker, and announced a draft pick. Now, given the time difference, they could do that from Mexico. But uh, wouldn't be, I would be delighted now if we could have a couple of Steelers players here next summer or next spring, announcing some draft picks. Um, uh, the Steelers have a relationship with the Dublin Distillers uh, whiskey. They have a special uh, Irish whiskey, which unfortunately can only be bought in Pittsburgh at the moment for export only. So um, that might be a venue that we could look at a, 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 for a draft pick. So all these ideas came up in Crow Park last week. Um, yeah, if they're doing it in Mexico, and uh, Mexico was their first target market, and Ireland's now their second one, north and south. Let's see if we can uh, get that much done. You know, and again, um, flag football is open to male and female. That are uh, the previous weekend they were saying in Pittsburgh they had a flag football championships only for girls and huge participation and uh, great success all around. So uh, we may not get a regular season game for a while. We might be happy with a preseason game, just given the diaries. The Jags are coming here as well. We can't forget them. So they're out to, you know, um, maximize their market in the UK and Ireland. They've also been awarded their global marketing rights here. So um, Jags versus Steelers in Crow Park would be great. Preseason or regular season, i take that. I absolutely and I your your other ideas are are fantastic. The Jets did it last year. They didn't obviously, as you're saying, round one, um, round two probably not going to work. But some of those later rounds into the weekend, um, it's there's no reason Saturday, that yeah, Saturday, yeah, for sure. can't be done. And then hopefully in September we've Rod Woodson coming back to do some of his coaching clinics with uh, his colleagues. Uh, for hope through football usually so again if people just look out for these events we get them out there once all the logistics are uh, signed sealed and delivered they're not just there yet but they certainly will be within a week or two yeah no, no so just so much to look forward to and final question then tom um i obviously look we're recording this when there are 100 days to go to the beginning of the nfl regular season it's uh still quite a distance away um but your far too early uh, prediction for the Steelers' record uh, for twenty the twenty twenty three season. Well, hopefully they'll still have a winning season. Um, I reckon, looking at the schedule, they might come up with ten wins, so they should be there or thereabouts for a playoff position. Um, again, a lot depends on injuries. They like a lot of teams can't afford another season with TJ Watt on the sideline for you know five or six matches so um they've built up nicely in the in the draft and in free agency on both sides of the ball but better lines better uh guards tackles they were probably won't get many as many penalties as as previously and um will stop getting to the quarterback so unusual to have the same three quarterbacks there we wouldn't have maybe thought that at the end of, of last season but they're, they're all lined up again with um uh, different um, roles uh, with, uh, you know, 
Rich happy in a in a secondary role, but the salary spread out, and then um, May, Mason is is still there at number three. So, uh, but you know, picking some pickets, happy days. You know that could be something to look forward to. Um, and whether they go to the Super Bowl, a lot will depend on uh, strength and depth. Yeah, uh, I I mean I think it's it's very interesting to to me because they're a team who. Some people, and not Steelers fans, I think for the most part, Steelers fans are pretty buoyant, I think, because of Mike Tomlin's history. Um, but there are people who around the NFL who really um, doubt the, the Steelers. Um, but I think anyone backing against uh, Magical Mike Tomlin, um, you know, he he just, he whatever it is, and when, very often when the Steelers' backs are against the wall and things look, um, the, the bleakest he he finds a way, but it will be um, certainly very interesting. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to, to chat to me, Tom. I want to wish you and everyone um, at AFI a continued success and hope the everything that's going to happen over the, the summer months um, goes off really well. Um, hopefully, um, you know, we will see a, a fantastic Charmock Bowl and a fantastic college classic and obviously the flag football and Rod Woodson. Um, but all the, the very best and uh, look forward to chatting to you again soon. Thanks very much, Colin. Keep up the good work and uh, look forward to seeing you over the next couple of weeks and months.